We're going to spend a little bit of time looking at this first pillar of the plan. Actually, it's more than just a pillar. It's the foundation. It's the reason we exist. As a church, we exist to make disciples. That's foundational. It was the final command of Jesus. You remember Matthew 28, verse 18? He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make church people of all the nations. Except it doesn't say that, does it? Go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey the things that I've taught you. We believe that disciple-making is the greatest opportunity that has ever been offered a human being. And the gospel itself is simply the opportunity to live as a disciple of Jesus. Why is it such a great thing? You may remember, if you were here a few weeks ago, we learned this expression. This is from a writer named Dallas Willard. He said, there is no problem in human life that discipleship to Jesus cannot solve. You say that with me. There is no problem in human life. Say that. There is no problem in human life that discipleship to Jesus cannot solve. The reason that this offer for discipleship matters more than anything else is that there is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. Jesus, you know, had absolutely nothing to say about becoming a Christian. He never even used the word. But he had a whole lot to say about being a disciple of his. What is a disciple? A disciple is simply someone whose ultimate goal is to live as Jesus would live if he were in their place. A disciple is an apprentice. A disciple is someone who says, I make a commitment to be with the master of this craft so that I can learn it and I can become like him. That's all an apprentice is. It's someone who says, I will bind myself to the master of a craft that I want to learn. In the case of Jesus, the craft is life. And I want to tell you that the ability, the opportunity to apprentice yourself to Jesus is the greatest invitation that will ever be extended to anyone. And that's what we're about as a church. Our what, if you'd like, what are we about is to make disciples. We introduce people to the life of disciples, discipleship with Jesus. And we, we believe when we do that, we unleash something in them. We unleash a power and a peace and a presence. Our what is making disciples. Our why is because we believe there is no problem in human life. Say it with me that discipleship to Jesus cannot solve. And then we kind of have a how. How does it happen? What's our strategy. And our strategy for discipleship can be summarized in a really simple way. Have a look at the colorful little circle on the back of your bulletin. Three words. Deeper, closer, wider. Say that. Deeper, closer, wider. What is deeper? We invite people to a relationship with God, a transforming relationship. We gather together. We do so regularly here and in small groups and in homes and in opportunities where we can worship and we can learn. And we're trying to find ways to arrange our lives around a set of practices and principles that are given to us in the Bible, around generosity, around 
prayer, around servanthood, around confessing so that we can be increasingly, by the power of God, freed from sin and live lives characterized by, by love and by joy. That's deeper. And wherever you are, there is always going to be another step because you can never go deeper than the depths of God himself. And then we want to go closer because we believe that we're, we're not to live these segregated private lives. This just flies in the face of society today. But we're meant to live in authentic community with each other. That's why small groups for us are a big deal. Because nobody grows spiritually in isolation. I want to get to know some people who can encourage me and challenge me and hold me accountable. I'm part of a group, a great group that meets on Thursday night, and they do that for me. That's the closer. It's part of what, why being in these little communities is so important, is so critical when, it becomes, uh, when we're trying to become apprentices of Jesus. Deeper, closer, and then wider. Wider is really important because the church is the one organization in the world that absolutely does not exist for its own sake. We exist for the sake of everybody here in the Mississauga Valley and Cooksville and the GTA and beyond so that they can flourish. It's why what happens in here matters so much. It, ha- it matters what happens in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplace. And we're constantly asking the question, how would I do my job? How would I live my life if Jesus were living it in my place? When I'm a follower of Jesus, I want to ask that question. Whether I drive an Uber car, or I teach a classroom of children, or I serve folks at a restaurant, or I write computer code, I'm an engineer, I'm a volunteer, whatever it is, how would Jesus do what I'm doing if he were living in my place? Then I ask for his help in doing that. That's what makes life matter. And really, our great hope for you, for each other, is that there will be people in your life, people that you know and love, neighbors, co-workers, your mom, your dad, your kids, whatever it is, that will meet Jesus. And they'll want to follow him. And you get to be a part of it. That's our great hope. It's the dream of the church. Again, because there is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. Are you with me so far? Can we go just one level deeper now? I want to dig deeper into one part of the plan. Uh, As you prepare to go into small groups this week and discuss some of this material, I want to go deeper because none of us want to live shallow lives, do we? Just sort of cresting along the surface, skimming, preoccupied by trivial things. No, we... We long for purpose and depth and and significance, the deep things of God. So let's start this way. Hi, everyone. My name is Richard, and I'm a sinner. Now, your part, your job is to say, hi, Richard, in, in a really friendly way, so I feel accepted, encouraged to be open and transparent and confessional. So let's try it one more time. Hi, everyone. My name is Richard, and I'm a sinner. Ah. (laughs) Jesus made this remarkable statement. 
he made it in Luke in chapter 12. He said, don't be afraid, little flock. Your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. And when I think about those words, I know I want to live a life that is beyond fear. To not be afraid. I want to live in the reality of the, the kingdom of God. I want to know joy and peace and meaning. And I know that if I'm going to do that, that I'm going to have to change. I know if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to need help. I need a way of life that keeps me close to God and that keeps my mind aware of His presence. And I need to receive power to do the things I can't do on my own. I need a life that's not legalistic, not checking box on a list of rules, but not superficial and not mechanical. And at the same time, it isn't just the same old way that everybody does life. I think most of the time people believe that Christianity, being a Christian, is mostly about professing the right beliefs. But it's not. One of the great illusions, even among church people, is that if you give people the right information, it will lead to transformation. It doesn't. I mean, if it did, we'd just cram people in a room and open up the top of their heads and dump it all in. And everybody would be fine. Information is important, but it's not sufficient. In fact, it's fascinating in the life of the early church. The name that was given to the followers of Jesus in that little community, they were called the people of the way. You find it in Acts and in Acts 9 and Acts 22 and lots of other places. They weren't called the believers in a creed. Now, belief is very important. What you believe is important. But they weren't called believers. They were called people of the way. And here's why. In the New Testament, in the Greek language, the word we translate belief is the same word that we translate trust. When we say they were believers in Jesus, what they were saying is that they trusted Jesus and they followed his way. And the way that they lived is actually described a fair bit in the Bible. And you could think of it as a discipleship pathway. How many of you have trained for some sort of distance running or walking event? Right? You know that in your training, you prepare not just for the start. You prepare for the second mile. You prepare for the midway stretch. You prepare for the long run up the final hill. You prepare for what it's like to cross the tape. There is always a pathway of preparation in apprenticeship to Jesus. There's an intentionality to it, not just the first step, which the church we focus on a lot. Let's just get them to Jesus. But the next step and the next, and whether you've been at this for a month or for decades, there is a next step. That's why, again, following Pastor Sheldon, we want to encourage you to make sure you're in a small group, especially, especially this month. And then in that group, pick some people that you can talk to about how things are going on the way. What are you learning? Where are you getting messed up? Where are you finding God in your life? Ask them to pray for you and, and offer to pray for them. Learn about it together. And if you're not ready to do that, we understand, right, Sheldon? But stay with it. Stay with it. You'll get there. 
the goal is not for this to be a five-week series that we finish and then everyone is done. The idea is that we're never done with this. We're going to be learning some spiritual steps arranged around these closer, deeper, wider principles. But today's step is the foundation. It's the ground for everything else that we're going to do. If you don't get this one right, everything else is just going to mess you up because you'll turn it into a bunch of steps in a self-help program. You could summarize the foundational step in two words. You ready? Give up. Say it. Turn to somebody next to you and say, I give up. Give up. It doesn't mean quit. It means surrender. Surrender your life fully to God. It's expressed in the most famous prayer of all time. The most famous prayer we have recorded in the Bible, the prayer of Jesus, where he says, your will be done. Pray that with me. Your will be done. We're going to carry that little prayer with us today. We're going to use those four words. And the amazing thing about those words is you can use them anytime. When you're frustrated because you're in a traffic jam and you can't control the traffic, your will be done. When you're, when you're worried about one of your kids because you can't control your kids, your will be done. When you're mad at your spouse because you can't control your spouse, your will be done, Lord. When your computer crashes, you didn't get accepted into school, you got passed over for the promotion, you were hoping she'd say yes and she said no, you're worried about money, even when you lay dying, you pray that prayer, your will be done. And there's something in the universe that unlocks when you surrender your will. It's like the key to a door. Somebody wrote that the door opens almost by itself. And inside you see a pathway with the inscription that says, this is the way to a faith that works. And it does work. I need to tell you something amazing about that simple prayer and why I need it so much. I've been a Christian long enough. I am spiritually mature enough to know that I really have only two problems. Karina's not here. I can say that at 9 o'clock. Some of you have lots of them. I have only two. One of them is I keep doing things I don't want to do. And the other one is Can you guess it? I don't do the things I want to do. Anybody have either one of those problems? I say, I'm not going to eat that, and I eat it. I shouldn't drink that, but I drink it. Don't look at that sight. Don't wimp out. Don't procrastinate. Don't brag. Don't ignore the kids. Don't say, you're right, honey. That does kind of make you look good. And I say it. The words come out of my mouth. The Apostle Paul said, I don't understand myself. For what I want to do, I don't do. And what I hate to do, I do. I have the desire to do good, Paul said, but I don't carry it out. That's the human condition. What we want to do is good, and what we're prepared to do is wrong. And most people think the response to this is just to try harder. Try harder 
to be like Jesus. Try harder to obey God. Try harder to become a better person. But any addict, anybody who has ever dealt with and recovered from any addiction will tell you that does not work. And whether or not you've ever gone through an identified addiction to a substance or a behavior, every one of us has the heart of an addict. It's a little idol factory. What we call addictions is actually called in the Bible idolatry. All of us get attached sometimes to the wrong things. And every addict I've ever met will tell you that you will come to a place where trying harder will not get it done. But when I surrender my life, when I say, I'm no longer just trying to get my own way. I will seek to do what's good and honorable and true, but I'm not going to get there on my own. Suddenly I find myself moving with a current that's just so much greater than myself. And no one has ever lived this or modeled it or taught it or identified it better than Jesus. He expressed it unforgettably with these words. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. I know there's a lot of confusion about what this means. It simply means this. My desires, what I want, are no longer the ultimate goal of my life. I'm willing to give up what I want in order to do what is good. It's what it means to take up your cross and to deny yourself. My life is no longer primarily about getting my own way. That first step is foundational for everything else. It's not to exert my will and try harder. It's to surrender my will. You know, it's fascinating. If, If anybody has ever spent some time learning about the anonymous movements, Gamblers Anonymous, Alcoholics, Narcotics Anonymous. The 12 steps in that discipleship movement actually originated with a Christian group in England, the Oxford group. They learned it from the church. The church needs it back. More than a century ago, it outlined these first three steps, and here they are. We admitted we were powerless over our problems. Our lives had become unmanageable. And we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity if we'd let him. Step three was this. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. And sometimes it's summarized in these three great phrases. I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. You say that with me? I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. That's the foundation. I can't do what? I can't fix myself. I can't fix you. I can't remove my own guilt. I can't help that I'm an alcoholic or a rageaholic, a workaholic, a greedaholic, whatever, imageaholic, judgmentaholic. I can't give myself a personality transplant. I can't be the man, the husband, friend, father, pastor I'm called to be. I can't control my worry or my lust or my eating. I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. Have you ever prayed this prayer? Have you ever taken that step honestly? A lot of people I know in our day are still afraid of surrendering to God. There's this great radio commercial for a men's weight loss program. 
that, that expresses it, I think, memorably and super well. It says, if you could have done it yourself, you would have done it already. Hey, are you guys in the Harvey Brooker weight loss program? If that's the bad news, I can't. The good news is God can. The question is, have you let him? I can't. God can. God can give an alcoholic the power to be sober. He gives a greedy tax collector named Zacchaeus the power to become a poster boy for generosity. He gives a frightened failure by the name of Simon the power to become a courageous leader in the early church named Peter. He changes a hater of God's people named Saul into a lover of his people named Paul. Paul goes on to say, I believe now I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't. God can. We think of surrender as an act for weak people, but surrender is a pathway to power. I can't. God can. I'll let him. We have two minutes. Let me just go one more level deeper. In Luke's version, Jesus adds one more powerful little word to the idea of surrender. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. And here's the extra word. Daily. Daily. And follow me. People wonder sometimes, isn't it all done? I gave my life to God. I placed my life in Jesus' hands. Isn't surrender a once and for all deal? Well, there has to be a once. I mean, there has to be the first time. You don't just drift into it. But after that, it's an everyday affair. And here's why. I think I'm surrendered. I think I've turned my will over to God, but then I take it back again. I turn it over and then I take it back. I think I'm surrendered. I'm an introvert. I enjoy being alone. And so here I am alone. I'm practicing the discipline of surrender. God, you can have it all. My money, my energy, my family, my will, my time. I surrender it all. Your will be done. And I'm quite moved about how devout my surrender is. And then my wife says, Honey, would you please finish cleaning the basement like you promised to? Stop interrupting me. I've surrendered everything to Jesus. And you're getting in the way. God, I said, your will be done. Not hers. Your will. I think I've surrendered my time until somebody else wants it. And I think I've surrendered my money until somebody else needs it. And I think I've surrendered my circumstances until they're not convenient for me. I surrender my will until it gets crossed. And I'm never done learning this prayer. The beauty of the prayer and why it's the foundation of your life is you can pray it all day long and it will never cease to energize you and fill you. It's like breathing. There's this profound truth about discipleship, about following Jesus. I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. Your will be done. So welcome to the way. The way of Jesus. Here we go. It all begins with the surrender of our wills. It's the foundation. I want to give you a chance to practice some surrender today. I want you to think with me about, about what God might have you next, for you next in your discipleship journey. 
In the back of your bulletin, as we mentioned, you, you have a copy of this. For a few quiet moments, I'm going to invite you as you think through, I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. To jot down one step, the next step for you. What's one step in going deeper in your understanding and relationship with God? Be concrete. Be practical. God, I want to give you the first half hour of my day. Starting tomorrow, I'll set my alarm. And closer, God, I'm going to work up the courage to find one of those six new groups that Pastor Sheldon was talking about, and I'm going to show up on week one. Or I'm going to show up for my group But I'm going to get involved in ways that I've never been involved. I'm going to step out. I'm going to participate. I'm going to lead. What does it mean to be closer? And then what does it mean to be wider? That prayer list that gets mailed out every Monday morning. I'm going to pick one of those names. I'll be in touch with them. One of those ministries. I'm going to pray for them. Maybe I'll drop in, just bring them a Starbucks and say thank you for what you do. Deeper, closer, wider. I can't. God can. I'm going to let him. 